I'm Jonathan Flynn, and this is the Interim Leader Podcast, brought to you by Audios Interim, the UK's largest provider of interim management services. This episode is part two of an interview I conducted with David Smith, Chief Executive of Hamleys. If you haven't yet listened to the previous episode of the Interim Leader Podcast, I would suggest you give this episode a pause and come back to it after you've done so. We follow on from key points of the discussion in part one, and in this episode, we look into the future and explore new opportunities and potential for the retail industry. So let's get to part two of the interview. Some of the retailers out there that have done well over the past mm. three months or so is this return to localism. What's your opinion on the, the return to uh, local businesses? I think it's a great uh, and welcome trend. I think over the last few years, we've seen this sort of exodus from local uh, business going to the majors, uh, obviously, you know, out of town and, and um, supermarkets. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, I, I, like you, have taken advantage of some local traders who, you know, have gone above and beyond in very difficult circumstances, partly because it's in their interest to do so. But the other interesting thing, I think part of it is that um, they've sort of surprised and delighted on things like service and helping out the local community. I think my mum and dad live not far from you and they've been shielding over this period. But their local shops, it doesn't matter whether it's the news agent or the local bakery, they've said, no, no, you don't come out of your home and come and pick the stuff up. We'll just drop it off. It'll be a contact delivery. We'll leave it on the front doorstep. It's kind of all part of the service. And I think that local service is really interesting because, again, just anecdotally talking to my own mother, um, she will absolutely continue to use those local shops at a level that she probably didn't do before the lockdown because they have helped them out uh, significantly. Um, they have given them that sort of element of service. And I think that whilst previously everybody believed that, you know, they just needed to shop on price, yeah. I think people will now more than ever pay a little bit extra to get that local service. Yeah. But those who didn't just shut down, but those who figured out a way to be entrepreneurial, to think about the community, to go the extra mile, those people hopefully will continue to be successful and continue to be supported. You know, it's interesting. In that model, I think there's a, a lesson for the big national players as well. I, I think that the large chains that up until now have been all about economies of scale and a cookie cutter approach and everything sort of has to look and feel the same. I think there's a really interesting lesson there that it could be a lot more about empowering regional and local or even store managers to be able to do something, perhaps 90% of the proposition looks and feels the same as it does everywhere else, but maybe there's a new 10%. It could be some regional or local product, or it could be something that's specific to that local environment. Um, and I, I think that more and more now, customers are looking for something that feels more relevant to them um, and could allow, for example, local producers to actually stock products in some of the national chains, rather than that traditional classic approach, which is you have to go to head office, there's a national buying process that you have to go through, which most small producers just can't deal with that scale but yeah. what they could deal with it you know is a, is a smaller partnership on a local level and i think that that's going to be quite interesting to see whether or not some of the big national change adopt any of that more localized view of the customer i i think that's a new trend that customers will exhibit more and more and hopefully can also see a return to better quality uh, as well in terms of 
product, whether it's food or other product. So yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to be watching out for that. No, I like that idea of big national retailers, you know, thinking big, but acting local. Um, and conversely, what do you think that local independent businesses could do to take advantage of the position they have at the moment with that place in consumers' hearts? What could they do to keep that momentum? Well, I think, first of all, they need to keep doing what they've been doing rather than sort of thinking that the worst is over or, or there is a sense that we might return to normal and therefore these additional things I've been offering, I, I can probably stop offering now. I actually think they probably need to sort of build these now into their everyday business models and just decide that, um, you know, there is an opportunity to provide a sense of a delivery service or if there's an opportunity um, to provide specific services that maybe go a little bit above and beyond. That's something that I think they should consider continuing to do. The, the second thing I think is really important is that they listen much more than they've ever done to their customers and start to build their range and their proposition. I think it's about more engagement with customers and listening and building in customer sort of insight into your work. Yeah. And I think that the third thing is, I'll give you an example, uh, actually, of my parents' village, is that the local news agent is also a keen runner. He organized a village fun run, and he organized it as a charity event. He got a huge response from the village, partly because people had been locked down for the longest time or just needed to get out of their houses. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Secondly, they needed a purpose and he provided that and, and thirdly because they'd been applauding the NHS um, every Thursday night they felt like they could now do something more and I think while socially distanced there was a social interaction of the village so he did a number of different things quite interestingly he brought the village together he brought it together for a purpose whilst it wasn't all about him and his shop I think people now see that business yep. and him as the much bigger pillar of the community than it, than it probably was before. And I think that's got, that can only be good for, for small businesses like that in, in smaller communities. Well, you've taken the words out of my mouth. I, mean, I think it's building that sense of community and feeling part of that community. And I think local businesses can do that really well, whereas maybe the, uh, the, the retailers on the National High Street can't do as well. But conversely, you, you know, the, the, the digital community are, are, are very good at building those communities, whether it's Gymshark Online or, or, or businesses like that. It led me to the point, going back to the business rent and rates, that if these independent retailers continue to be successful, and I think the high streets are going to change, you mentioned all about the, the vacant property in the West End. Um, it's like a mouthful of broken teeth with a, a load of retailers that, that have left a lot of vacant properties. Now, if there were more attractive business rates and, and rents from landlords, some of these independents could move into more of the main high street from the, the outskirts, which would dry footfall would be good for everybody. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a, there's a couple of things around that that I think are worth exploring. Um, one is that where you see now new housing development, there is now this sort of a, a component part that needs to ensure that there is enough affordable housing or yeah. public housing within the scheme often before it's approved. It's new developments up here, it's 40% then. And I, I actually think there's something quite interesting there that the governments and councils might want to start exploring, which is how do we create that new retail space to allow new businesses, startups, someone who wants to start that great little coffee shop or someone who wants to start that sort of retro vinyl record shop, but to allow them to you know, give them the space and the time, maybe make it a rent-free environment for you know, an initial period of time 
to enable these businesses to sort of get some traction, to be able to develop, to be able to actually evolve over a period of time, and then make sure that when rent is introduced, it's, it's on a turnover basis, so that there's, there's transparency, there's it's a win-win for both you know, landlord um, and tenant. And I think there's something there that, that, that's quite interesting and that's worth exploring. And another area that we've interestingly talked a little bit about as large retailers during the lockdown is something that we were calling space furloughing. So this sort of idea that actually, you know, there could be space given over in some of the larger stores to introduce some complementary um, retail businesses within larger store propositions and, to, uh, and for landlords to give a, you know, a decreased or preferential term as far as rent's concerned um, for part of the store that allows new businesses to be introduced. And obviously, they could be complementary in nature or using the old department store model, sort of a concession type proposition or even a, a sort of a consignment proposition. And I, I think there's something that could be explored more there. Encourage the entrepreneurs to really start, they want to start these businesses, but allow this to be a sort of a partnership almost so that both, you know, the landlord and the, the retailer can prosper over a longer period rather than this sense of, you know, six months in and the business is going really well and then the landlord suddenly jacks the renter by 100% for the following year and, you know, game over, end of business. So, so I think there's more in that sort of partnership between landlord and new businesses, probably supported either by central government, but more likely by local government, by local councils, to avoid the Armageddon potentially of high streets emptying out at a, at a high rate of knots. No one likes to walk down a high street with a lot of empty units. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and on that point that, you know, with TM Lewin, Harvey's Go Outdoors, Benson's for Beds, job cuts from John Lewis Arcadia and Harrods, you know, all coinciding with the, the winding down of the government furlough scheme, I, I, I get the sense that this is only the beginning. So I think there's, there's obviously um, another sort of direction that the business is taking that we touched on earlier, which is this business is pivoting now to a much more digital future than perhaps uh, where they've been previously. And I think that that's going to be quite an interesting challenge because I don't think anybody's predicting that the future of retail is going to be exclusively online. But I think what uh, retailers have to figure out more effectively is how do they get that blend of physical proposition and online proposition in what's often referred to as a sort of omni-channel business model? And I, I think that's going to be quite important because what will be the same for retailers, whether they are in a physical high street mall or West End location or online, whether that's their own website or in a marketplace, is you've got to have some fundamental issues that are the same. First one is you've got to have a purpose. You've got to build purpose and, and really understand what that is. I think you've got to have an even stronger proposition than you've got right now. And, and that can be, mean a variety of different things. But rather than it being as much as you can possibly range and try to sell, I think now it's more about curation, curating product, curating the proposition really understanding what that product is, what purpose is it serving, why are you offering it, does it fit within your overall proposition. I think the other thing is online or in store, we have to be a lot more customer centric than we've ever been. And I think that that requires an, a review of the customer experience in store, whether that's in a serviced environment or whether it's in a self-service environment. Interesting thing here, it's the lost art of storytelling. 
and that again is online and offline and obviously people talk a lot about data and, and data analytics but it's a really a lot about understanding the customer and being able to use some of the information and, and the analysis and the data to drive customers into store or to drive customers online and not get too hung up necessarily as a lot of physical retailers do that the customer isn't necessarily buying in the store stores may change uh, in some cases they may be used for different reasons they could become more like a showroom than they have been previously and so retailers shouldn't get so hung up that every transaction isn't being driven at the store level Agreed. a lot of people may come to the store to experience to try to have that sort of interaction yep. but ultimately may decide to buy it online and where, where that happens as well is make sure that the physical stores get a sense of recognition for that sale so that you are not siloing your online and offline sales uh, revenue uh, you've Absolutely. got to look at it sort of across the board I think in physical retail, there are some examples, but on the whole, I think we're probably at a bit of a C plus could do better uh, across the, the high street generally. I think there's a, a lot more you know, we could do, whether that's small boutique independence all the way through to uh, you know, the large multiple. Well, I was, going to, I was going to say, I think the first podcast I ever did for uh, Odges Interim, I, I mentioned Nike, that I think uh, their, their big store on, I'm not sure, is it Fifth Avenue in New York, actually has no product in it. So it's completely about experience. But again, it ticks many of the boxes that you were talking about in terms of community, product, uh, you know, all of those things and you know, bringing people together. And it, it translates well to online as well, they're, they're, they're a, a very successful app. What I think it does, uh, Jonathan, is it changes the, the mindset for the business away from being transactionally focused. Yeah. Um, you know, the here and now, what's the ATV, you know, what's the conversion, what are our transactions looking like? I'm not suggesting that they're not still important, but I think it enables businesses to step back and look at um, this in a slightly different way. And, and we start to talk a lot more about customer lifetime value. We start to talk about understanding through experience, through different touch points. You're not just striving for that particular transaction here and now, but you're building a much longer term relationship, which over the period of the relationship will be much more valuable than the transaction here and now. And I, I think that's a, a critical difference for retailers as, as we look forward. It's much more about building a loyalty and a relationship with customers will yeah. give you that value over, over that much longer period. I think despite all the doom and gloom, David, out there in the market, there are still customers out there. There are still customers who want to transact. There are still customers that want to be you know, involved in communities, whether it's online, whether it's multi-channel, omni-channel. I think it's a really exciting time for retail. We've got some big problems to iron out. You know, gone over some of the bigger ones there in terms of rent and rates, you know, uncertainty. You know, if we can look at retailers to build that community, curate, provide that service, I think it's an exciting time. I agree with you. I'm an optimist and I'm probably more excited about the future right now than I yeah. probably have been for a while. And again, nobody ever wanted, and we hope we never have to deal with this kind of global health pandemic sort of ever again. But what it's done to business is it has really challenged the fundamentals. I think it really has now uh, caused businesses, whether it's the board or the CEO, to start to think differently and want to recognize that 
the playbook is no longer as relevant as it was. Yeah. That the future can be extremely bright and extremely exciting. And unfortunately, I, I don't want to use these, the, the slightly hackneyed expression of the Ice Age and the dinosaurs, but in some ways, there is a bit of an element of we have to have a natural move on. I don't think everybody was ever going to make this transition to the future. And I think in some ways, you've got to sort of lose a number of businesses to allow space for the new wave of businesses to emerge and for what everybody's now calling the you know the new normal of retailing and and, yeah. and the customer experience again in a, in that new sort of omni-channel environment so whilst unfortunate and clearly we're seeing in the press uh, a lot of jobs being lost and i think that will continue to happen as the the furlough scheme tapers and sort of unwinds I think it's something that's just got to allow the whole industry to move on and new brands to emerge. And the introduction of technology, whether it's you know, artificial intelligence, whether it's virtual reality, there are lots of really exciting things out there. Hopefully this will accelerate the rollout of those things so that customers start to experience them for themselves. That's the exciting future ahead of us. It's just going to be a, a rough few months, possibly a rough 18 months, even two years but but i think you know after that we'll start to see the green shoots of recovery oh, absolutely we're, we're definitely in a period of natural selection i think and yeah. you know there are some brands out there really exciting jim shark is five years old turning over 250 million turnover it's got that really agile direct-to-consumer model there are going to be more of these businesses coming out and at the end of the day david it's got to be good for the consumer no, I completely agree. And actually, Jim Shark's a really interesting example. So I, I was a member at a gym before lockdown. Um, I probably could have gone more often than I did. But I, like others, have cancelled my sort of membership. And uh, I'm now sort of reappraising whether or not I will go back to that gym environment. And I think what's been really interesting, again, through the use of technology, there are two other brands uh, that are probably worth mentioning in this space. One is Peloton who were already, already doing really interesting stuff before uh, lockdown um, and this idea of sort of a community experience where you're either competing with or you're in a class with others, but you're actually doing your sort of exercise at home. I think it's Lululemon who've just bought um, a tech company. I think they're called Mirror, which I think is going to allow more of this sort of yoga or class exercise or interacting with a personal trainer but a lot more of that to be done from home as opposed to the sort of requirement necessarily to go to a gym. So I think that the, um, the use of tech now in that space is really fascinating and it just allows people to sort of do things at the time they want to do them in an environment that they feel relaxed in um, and still have to some degree the community through technology where you could be working out with others or you could just be working out with a trainer. So I think that's, that's really exciting and I think we'll start to see hopefully that coming through in some other areas of retail as well. People have been talking about Apple for years but that vertically integrated supply chain where they've got the technology, they've got the bike but they also just have a sports and technology business as you say on demand for a small subscription. That subscription model is beautiful because once you get people like Netflix and everything else the customers are locked in. Absolutely. I think that's another interesting area you've touched on the, the subscription model once uh, businesses have really understood the customer, can better understand the sort of buying patterns, etc. Um, the subscription model is something that, that will become more and more interesting. I don't think it's necessarily for everyone, but people who have that sort of sense of a, a continuous relationship with a particular brand, 
I think we'll be more and more open to subscription models, particularly, I think, if it gives them access to more value-added services other yeah. than just product. So I think, again, back to the sort of value-add proposition, uh, I, I think that's something that, that's really interesting. And even the grocery online retailer Ocado over the lockdown, apart from struggling to start with because they didn't manage the number of new customers and um, a lot of the existing customers didn't necessarily get the service levels that they were expecting. They've quite cleverly now just added an option where you can literally just buy exactly what you bought last week. A couple of things you want to edit out of it or a couple of things you want to add. But what they're doing and what a lot of the future online is all about is this removing friction, making the experience as absolutely as easy as possible. And No, absolutely. And I think it just re-emphasizes that these business, whether you're a traditional high street retailer evolving into an omnichannel business or a subscription-based business, people have got to keep evolving because I think, you know, the danger with a subscription model is that people get subscription fatigue. I mean, for technology, I have Amazon Prime, Netflix, you know, couple of others and I see the same thing happening in the uh, the tech fitness industry at the moment there's Peloton the center apps and stuff and I think once you have two or three then you start whittling down and thinking well which one gives me the most value or if a new one comes along it's like oh wow uh, these guys are doing something that these others aren't and I think uh, you know that's when you know people's loyalty will come into question you know when it comes to another seven out nine a month yeah, but, but I think that comes back to the, the key point uh, before, which is in these new businesses where the market is competitive, where there are new market entries who are sometimes coming in to try and disrupt traditional sort of market, these brands fundamentally to stay ahead, they have to keep focusing on the customers. They have to understand who that competition is. I touched earlier on innovation. You can't rest on your laurels. You have to always be thinking, what's the next feature? What's the next you know, aspect um, to convince people that they're getting uh, an increased value, if you like, to enable them to want to part with their monthly subscription or their annual subscription. So I agree. Uh, the risk right now for businesses is that they, things can become stale quite quickly because there's so much choice in the market. And I think the winners will be the ones that are continuing to innovate on a, you know, on a regular basis. And frankly, not being afraid to try things because if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. You learned a lot, you don't continue with it, and then you try something new. And so I think this sort of sense of innovation within organizations now will be critical to not just to, to enable them to sort of stay ahead, but also just to keep the chasing pack at, at distance because I think that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Well, David, it's been a fascinating conversation and I set out from the beginning that I wanted to pick up on those um, you know, pillars of change within the retail industry and what's happening out there as we came out of lockdown and the store started opening. I'm going to watch with uh, yeah, a keen eye what happens as we continue to open things with the leisure industry opening in a, in a few days. But I wish you every continued success and thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Jonathan, I've enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you to everyone who's joined us for this episode of The Interim Leader. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe and follow for more insights from our network of consultants, clients and interim managers.